This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a lot to talk about today. We're breaking down USC's 33-17 win over Utah. I was wrong, guys. The Utah curse uh, was broken, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if it counts because the must wasn't there, but we'll get into that. Uh, we'll talk about that game. We also talked to Clay Helton. He had his Sunday night press conference. We'll give you the latest updates from that, including injury updates. We have uh, some some people to, to report on. And then we'll talk about USC's defensive improvements. It looked like the best game all season long for Todd Orlando's new defense. We'll get into that. Of course, you can call us 5124-TUNNEL. Tell us your comments, questions, concerns you can also tweet at us hashtag tunnelvision and i'll put your tweet up on the screen and then whenever wherever you are watching i believe we are live on all three platforms youtube facebook and periscope put your comments and your questions in the chat we'll read them we'll discuss with you guys we love talking to you all so make sure to do that guys like i said 33 17 usc takes care of business in salt lake city Shotgun, I'm going to start with you. I know you were pretty positive compared to maybe the pair style that was having a meltdown at times. Uh, what were your overall takeaways from uh, Saturday's game? First off, it's it's weird that you're over here, Ryan. What, what are you doing on, on this side of me? I don't know, yeah. <laughs> um, no, the, the first thing to, to take away from this game was the defense and how they played in the second half in particular. You know, throw, pitching a shutout there. Uh, they only gave up 10 points for the game. Utah, especially after rewatching this game, it looked like Utah was playing their first game. There were times when an offense, one offensive lineman went right and the whole rest of the line went left. So there were times where things like that happened. Um, I didn't think Jake Bentley looked very good. You know, Utah was supposed to have this offensive line that was very experienced. I was not a big fan of their offensive line last year. I didn't put too much stock in it, but they did not look very good. USC's defensive line really tore them up and their linebackers played great for USC. Uh, so, so a lot of positives on the defensive side. Offense, Keeley used the word clunky last night, and I think that's the best word to describe it. It's just start and stop, start and stop. It, you know, they can't get a great rhythm going. You'll see one drive, usually a game, outside the two-minute drill where you're like, oh, this is what it can look like. But the rest of the time, it's like, when are they going to figure it out? When are they going to put it all together? And that was, again, the case. But they get a 16-point win on the road, so you take that and you go, you know, you, you tip your cap a little bit there for USC. Still could have separated a little bit more, 
but and you know maybe you know looked even better in the college football playoff eyes or eyes of anyone that's voting for anything. Uh, but instead, you know, they just take care of business in the Pac-12 South, and they're three and zero now, and you know they're in the catbird seat waiting to, waiting for Colorado to come to town. Mm-hmm. Ryan. Yeah, you know, my column today was like imperfect perfection. Uh, it was just one of those things where they're 3-0. I mean, they're in the driver's seat for sure for the Pac-12 South. A big game coming up with with Colorado. No one would have expected that, the two undefeated teams in the South. But, you know, beating the two-time uh, you know division champion in Utah on the road, beating Arizona State, who was the up-and-coming team, and really having their schedule not be disrupted like many of the other schools. There's only two schools that haven't had any disruptions whatsoever. That's USC and Oregon State. Obviously, Oregon State isn't; a, it doesn't have a perfect record like USC does. So they really are in a good position as far as that goes. But when you look at things, I've had some theories, right? We don't know. There's not a lot of information we have when we're coming in. You're starting your season on November 7th. So you kind of had to go based on stuff you've seen from last year, based on what you think about the coaching staff, based on how these teams prepared. You get some different theories on how this is going to go. I've had two of you know, well, one of my theories, like, be completely blown out of the water, the whole new coaches thing where you had Washington State and Colorado, who both looked at, both looked good so far this year with a whole new coaching staff or at least a new head coach and no spring practice to get ready. They found a way. They also had new quarterbacks. They found a way to look good on the field. So uh, props to those staffs to be able to work that out. Sometimes it's just continuity, having some assistance like they kept, you know, at Colorado um, but there's been, you know, having a true freshman start for you up at Washington State, and uh, you know they've had some problems with games, but for sure those both those teams have looked good. The other theory is like when you do miss your first couple of games, and that's what we saw with Utah, you know, and, and it was going to be, it was just going to be tough to play a team that's already played two games and you are starting your season opener. And obviously USC's had that happen three weeks in a row, and you know the Colorado game, Colorado didn't get to play last week. The week after that, USC plays Washington State. They're not going to have played for two weeks before that. I, I think it's a little bit different when you've played a couple games and take time off versus not played at all. So I thought USC was going to be able to handle this Utah team just because we didn't know a whole lot about them. We saw Cal, who I liked a lot, and they looked much better. Chase Garbers looked a lot better in his last game than he did uh, that opener against UCLA. But having that opener come in when you're coming off of quarantines, you got guys that maybe didn't practice for a couple weeks, and I think that's what we saw with Utah. So it just—I think Utah's going to look better later on in the season, which isn't that long. We only got a few <laughs> weeks left, but uh, I think they're going to look better. But I really did expect it to look kind of rusty, not knowing who your quarterback was, not being able to practice. And I think that's what we saw. Mm-hmm. And there's still some playmakers for Utah that weren't in the game. And Britton Covey, I don't—I don't think he played in this game. I, I didn't see him. Um, that's a type, that's a guy that. You know, they expected to do some some really big things for them this year, and he wasn't on the field. So then you throw in all the new guys on defense, and, and they had their some times where they had struggles. So USC could have, and, and Clay Helton admitted this, that they could have put this game away early. He said it should have yeah. been probably 31-10 at halftime. Uh, USC has a touchdown. It's called back, and then the very next play, there's a miscommunication between the quarterback and tight end, and they throw an interception. Um, and then USC gives up the late drive. You know, another scramble comes back to bite them. You know, third and thirteen, they give up a thirty-three yard uh, scramble to to Jake Bentley, who is not a running quarterback at all. So, and that ends up leading to a touchdown drive for Utah. And there was opportunities there for USC to potentially separate late in that first half. They didn't. 
Um, but they did take care of business in the second half. So you give them credit for that, especially on the defensive side. Offense had a chance to, you know, if they, instead of kicking field goals, they score touchdowns in the second half. You know, that's an extra 12 points that you could have been there. So a 28-point win looks a lot bigger than a 16-point win. So um, especially when you just kind of look at it, this was a game where USC felt like there were, there were chances they could pull away. But it also felt like there were times where it's just like, oh, this is where Utah gets back in the game. Yeah. Oh, this is where it happens. And USC's defense said no, that ain't happening tonight. And they shut all those <laughs> those opportunities down. Yeah. Now, Ryan, I asked, talking uh, about this on instant analysis, so I'm going to throw it to you first. Obviously, we talked about the, the increased play from USC's linebackers that was missing in game one and two. Is this defensive improvement just solely because uh, Todd Orlando's defense is a linebacker-heavy defense, and it, when that position is actually playing well, that's why you see the, the upgrade? Or is it just, as a whole, the defense improved? I think it's a little bit of both, but part of it being that it, you know, when we talked to Todd Orlando this past week, he really made it sound like we just haven't had a lot of time. And we we talked about they just kind of looked slow. They were reading things. And I think he needed to get his guys doing what he wanted them to do. And maybe he put a lot on them and they were just kind of thinking too much. This one looked like they were flying around to the ball a lot more. And if you look at the stats, I mean, Raylan Goforth, and, and Kanai Mauga, they're the guys that led the team in tackles. You want to see your linebackers up top, 12 tackles and 11 tackles total, you know, a total of uh, two and a half, two tackles for loss. There's a sack in there. And then you got your safeties, Talanoa Funga and, and Isaiah Polamau. It's great to see like a Marlon Tui Pelotu, you know, up there getting some numbers, but you didn't want to see him like leading the team in tackles. So I think this is a really good sign that your linebackers are making plays. They forced some turnovers. I think there were some, you know, some turnovers that just sort of happened. Uh, but they were around the ball and there was other, you know, there was more interceptions that were available that they almost got. And mm -hmm. I like the fact that they were flying around. It seemed like a really aggressive defense and Utah just wasn't taking a whole lot of shots down the field. And sometimes you see teams do that where you, you know, they're limited, you know, they're doing screens and a lot of things that are close to the line of scrimmage and you still have defenses backing off. I don't think Todd Orlando's defense was doing that. So I like the aggression. Um, I like the fact that they just looked like, they were flying around to the ball more. And, you know, whenever you look at those stats and you see those linebackers up there leading the team in tackles, I think that's a much better sign. that This statue, this box score looks a lot different to me than the first couple uh, from before. So I like what you're seeing out of there. Now, is it a factor that just like Utah just didn't know what they were doing? It's their first game. Is USC going to go back to something more like we saw against Arizona, Arizona State? We'll see. But mm -hmm. I did, it did seem like it was some progress from, from the first couple games. Mm-hmm. Shotgun, what's your assessment of this defensive front? I know a lot of talk goes to Marlon Tuipolotu, rightfully so. Uh, Caleb Tremblay did not play in this game, but what have you seen from Nick Figueroa and the emergence of, of Marlon's brother, Tui Tuipolotu? Um, the one guy you did mention who's technically a part of the front. Okay, yeah. Drake Jackson. <laughs> like, he's probably got, like, jersey burn around his neck because they were mm -hmm. grabbing him all night. I, I think he only got, like, one uh, holding call called against uh, the offensive lineman when he was going against them. But there could have been six, seven, ten of them. He was blowing by guys at times, and they were just grabbing and getting away with it. Uh, he looked fantastic in this game. And then when you have a guy outside and a guy inside at the same time producing, like Marlon Tuipolotu is at the nose tackle position, it makes it so hard because you can't, okay, well, we're going to keep more guys inside to block this defensive tackle. We'll double-team him every time. Okay, we're going to you know put the backer, a tight end on one side because of this edge rusher. 
when you're doing it from both inside and outside, it makes it that much more difficult to block. And then you have guys like Nick Figueroa, who Clay Helton called, um, you know, said he's just been quietly Mr. Consistency and the unsung hero on this defensive line. You know, he's putting up great uh, PFF grades and stuff the first couple of weeks. He's been really good getting in the backfield. He's just very consistent, you know, with what he does. It's not necessarily spectacular, but he's kind of twitchy and he gets back there and, you know, you just look up and you're like, man, 50 just keeps making plays. Every time you look up, there's 50 around the ball. Um, he didn't have too many tackles or tackles for loss yesterday, but he was in the backfield a lot, causing some havoc. And Tuli Tuli Pelotu, the, the freshman, you know, Marlon's younger brother, he is way beyond where I thought he would be. Um, you know, coming in from Londell this, this offseason, he put on some weight and it's really helped him, I think. I think he's gotten stronger and, and, you know, he's been able to be an impact guy. And now you look at that defensive line, potentially getting Caleb Tremblay back this week, potentially getting Jacob Lichtenstein back from, you know, from opting out. And you start going, this could be a, you know, a pretty good unit for USC. You, you came in, there's a lot of question marks without Jay Tefele, and you got Brandon Peely back this week, and he did some nice things in, in this game as well, even though he looked a little bit, a uh, little tired at the end of the game, you know, his first action in a long time. So, but you got a lot of guys out there that you, you're feeling like they're continuing to progress and give Vic Soto a lot of credit for what the work he's done with that defense line. Mm-hmm. Now, moving to the other side of the ball, I think tonight was the first night that Clay Helton acknowledged that the offense just looks out of rhythm. I know I said clunky last night, and I asked him, have you identified why it just seems out of sync uh, so far this season? And he said uh, against Utah, they were just behind the chains, and then he said that there were some turnovers that just you can't get in into a rhythm, but... I don't know if that's satisfactory as an answer because I feel like that's not that doesn't explain it all. I feel like part of it is Keaton Slovis just doesn't seem as crisp still, uh, even though his stats are are good pretty much. Uh, Ryan, what's your takeaway from this offense and how it just doesn't seem like there's quite a rhythm yet? Yeah, you know, remember when we talk about like situational mastery. There's sort of situations where just like there's usually something that's going wrong, and sometimes. On the defensive side of the ball, you can do the wrong thing and still make a play. Like on offense, usually you need everyone kind of in sync. I asked Clay Hilton about his offensive line play, and, you know, they gave up a few sacks. They didn't run the ball particularly well as far as the numbers go. And he was sort of saying that he liked the way they were playing, but maybe the numbers weren't exactly, you know, they didn't look as good. But if you look at things, I mean, I when I counted them up, uh, there were four offensive line penalties, uh, four different linemen. I think uh, – Andrew Voorhees was the only offensive lineman that didn't get a penalty in this game. They didn't have the same sort of short yardage problems, and you mostly saw Vavai Malapai, you know, in there. I mean, about half their rushing yards came on that one, uh, you know, Keen Christian uh, run. So, and you know, it there, there were some breakdowns. If you saw, I think it was Jalen McKenzie let his guy go, and that led to the sack fumble and scoop and score for uh, for Utah there. So, I think in general. We saw Keaton Slovis throw some good balls, but I was getting a lot of texts, former scouts, people that like follow this stuff, and they're like, he just doesn't look right. And I, but I'm not going to put it all on on Slovis's shoulders. I think yeah. he doesn't look quite exactly right. I mean, the offensive line would be up and down a little bit. Uh, you know, you saw Amon Ross St. Brown have a drop. There's just there was just something that seems off in general. And you know, they had six trips into the red zone this time, and they scored just 27 points. Off of those, uh, there, you know, Shotgun pointed out there was two more trips inside the 30. That you add a couple field goals to that. So there's there's too many times where you're picking up a lot of yards on a drive and then not finishing them off. And a lot of times it's following a huge play. Like if you remember last week, those third quarter 
uh, drives that only, you know, there's three third quarter drives that amounted to three points. Each one of them had a huge play of at least like 35 yards. Uh, they, you know, they didn't score a touchdown after Christian's, you know, long, you know, 47 yard run. So I think, especially if you get a big play on a drive, you want to be able to cash that in. So I think it's something that's just not quite right. There's a bunch of puzzle pieces that are good, but they haven't quite put it all together yet. And I thought that would be sort of a given when you go from year one to year two with the kind of continuity that they bring back and the emergence of guys like Brew McCoy or, uh, you know, Drake London, but something's just not quite right. I don't want to put it all on Slovis's shoulders, yeah. but it's just something yeah. in general. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't meaning to put it on Slovis' shoulder. I just he wouldn't put it on. He wouldn't even say Slovis because he's obviously going to protect his quarterback. Shotgun, <laughs> what oh, is oh. Your, what is your <laughs> assessment of of this offense so far? Uh, it's it all starts with Slovis. You know, it, the things that we see with the offensive line, hey, we've seen those in the past. You know, the offensive line has been up and down. USC just doesn't have a dominant offensive line. I thought they would get better this year. I thought with the veterans they have. but And, and Clay Helton was happy with the way that they got some push in this game, uh, but they weren't able to create the, get those second-level blocks to really open up big runs consistently. And not necessarily big runs, but like seven, eight-yard runs consistently. But they were getting three or four uh, pretty regularly. But Vi Malapaya did a really nice job kind of weaving his way in and out, especially in the first half. He had 11 carries for 50 yards. He didn't finish with – I think he finished with like 90 or something. Um, so the, Utah made some adjustments in the second half that slowed down the run game. But it all starts with Slovis because there's times when he makes throws, like the throw that he made to Brew McCoy on the, on the right uh, sideline. Terrific throw, um, and you know no one's getting – no one's stopping that pass. And when you can do that – then the quarterback has more confidence. So now when a team drops back in zone, he doesn't care. He can find, he'll find, needle it through the window and, and hit a guy. Um, you know, instead of he's kind of scrambling around, he just, it seems like there's times when he can make some throws, he could kind of risk it, and he doesn't feel comfortable. So he's doing a good job of not making too many risky plays, but I think it's because he just doesn't have the same confidence. And it's, it's hard to assess this without fully talking to him and breaking things down with him. Um, so I, I feel kind of bad for, for trying to put kind of putting that on him, but it, it seems like from the outside looking in, it's kind of in his head um, and, and that there are some throws that you, you see and you're like, that throw last year was there. And it, there was something interesting. As someone asked the question in, in the chat, was Rod Gilmore mentioned that Slovis admitted that there were some differences to his motion after he suffered the injury against Iowa in the Holiday Bowl. So, you know, I would love to be able to sync up video and, and uh, you know, mm. put it side by side mechanically. That's what I would do if I was the coaching staff. I would say, hey, look, this is what's different. Let's make some adjustments. Or, hey, look, it's exactly the same. You know, get out of your own head. This is fine. Uh, but, but it starts with him because when you get backed up against the chains, you know, when you get, you know, you're third and long, what do you do? Well, you can trust your quarterback to, to drill a ball into Drake London or to Eric Cromanhook or one of those guys. And you're just not consistently seeing that this season. Uh, when USC picks up third downs, it's like, you know, the 42-yarder to Tyler Vaughn's where just terrible play calling by Utah, in my opinion, or a breakdown or something because Tyler Vaughn's does a little slant route and there's no one within 15 yards of him. So on third and like four, well, of course you're going to throw that. And then he breaks the tackle and gets a big gain out of it. And I also thought it was a terrible idea to go man third and five at the inside the 10-yard line. You know, those are just not smart play calling, in my opinion. And USC took advantage. So give them credit for that. But it's just not the consistent where we'll do what we want 
we want to do and you can't stop us. That hasn't been the case for the USC offense this year. Yeah. As far as Keaton goes, do you feel like it's specifically a certain throwing motion? Is it because I feel like he's seems less confident over the middle when he's throwing over the middle. It feels like he's he's afraid to let it go or zip it in there. Is that because the timing seems definitely off, especially over the middle? But I don't know if I'm reading into things there. I mean that the the pass to Tyler Vaughn's looked really good, and that was over the middle. Uh, that was a laser. The sometimes I mean I I think it depends. You know, it might just be. Uh, you know, like, I think confidence has a lot to do with it. And if you feel like, oh, this is a man coverage and I know there's no safety help, I'm just going to zip this one in there. Or maybe there's other ones where you're worried about, well, I have to put this in a certain spot. I mean, that one was, that one, you could just let it fly. And I think he did, you know, so maybe the, the confidence thing is part of it, but there's something just doesn't quite look right um, with it. You know, I liked that the fact that they said they addressed it with the balls, uh, you know, they had to get the you know, picking the peaches, mud up the balls, everything they talked about on the pregame show. I think Max Brown was on the pregame show talking about he was like the king of that. He's like some guys, he's like Cody Kessler. He liked the balls like right out of the package, just like brand new. He, that's the way he liked to throw them, you know. Um, and, and Max Brown was really into like he wanted to make sure it was exactly the way he wanted. So they, they kept that picking the peaches tradition going from – uh, you know, when Matt Barkley was there and, and Sam Darnold did it and stuff like that. So I thought that was interesting that they addressed that. They even talked about it on the broadcast a little bit. They would mud them up. They'd do something. So it sounded like the balls were a little more to his liking, but it was chilly. It was at altitude. So you thought there, you know, there, all of that could be an issue. And if so, if there's a little mental aspect of it, maybe he was a little better, but you're still not, you're thinking about it a little bit more. And then, then you're kind of like, uh, you know, aiming instead of like throwing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's just confidence. One is the you know the, the throw over the middle. Do you, can you zip it in there? And I feel like like Ryan said, he zipped the one a little bit better with Tyler Vaughn. He knew he had man coverage. He knew there was no safety coming over to potentially pick it off. But when they're in zone, he's a little bit hesitant. You know, got to make sure he's making the right read. He's staring people down at times, uh, which he you know was quick to make his rush, um, quick to make his reads last season. Uh, it's taking a little bit more time now, and I think that's a confidence thing. Also, the deep ball. The deep ball opens up a lot in this offense. And, hey, sometimes it's, hey, throw the ball up to Michael Pittman on the outside. And that works. But if, if you can't get the deep ball out there like he struggled to do the first couple games, either underthrowing Amon Ross St. Brown it basically being a fair catch battle uh, you know, for with Amon Ross St. Brown and one DB with a second DB coming over, or overthrowing Drake London on another play in that Arizona game where he had him wide open over the middle after a busted coverage. And you're not able to connect, so then you lose confidence in throwing that pass. So that's that's built into a lot of these concepts. You know, the, the four verts concept. There's always that option to throw it deep on the outside. You know, if you're facing zone, then you're going to try hit those guys in the middle a lot. But you can still throw it up if you see that that's you know one on one coverage on the outside. So it, I just feel like he doesn't have the confidence to, to make all the throws that he was making last year. Now, do you make adjustments to the offense based on that? That's a big question. You know, how can you kind of, you know, take the pressure off of him and then let him build himself back up maybe? I, th- I think that's something you have to look at if you're Graham Harrell. How do we st- slowly start building his confidence back up? Um, and, and, you know, how do you – that's one of the things with coaching is how do you kind of do that? Do you have to be hard on a guy? Do you have to be soft on a guy? How do you reach each individual? Mm-hmm. 
And in that sense, how would you assess USC's wide receivers so far this season? I know it's hard when Keaton is not 100% in that sense. Uh, Brew McCoy really came on in this game. He led USC in receiving yards. And uh, Shotgun, you asked Clay Hilton specifically, why did he uh, get the nod over Tyler Vaughn's? Uh, Tyler Vaughn's apparently missed practice this week, uh, and Brew McCoy practiced all week. Hilton made it sound like it wasn't Tyler Vaughn's fault as to why he missed practice, so we will see. We couldn't ask a follow-up question at that point in the press conference, so we don't know, but it doesn't seem nefarious. Uh, but Shotgun, I guess for you first, how do you assess this, these wide receivers, especially because I know I've talked to you about Amon Ra, St. Brown playing outside. Do you still prefer him more out of the, out of the slot? Yeah, I, I definitely do. I, I think when they get in their, uh, their 10 personnel, which is four wide receivers, and then that, that shifts Amon Ra inside with Brew McCoy outside, I think it's their most dangerous look. So now sometimes they have to, you need a tight end on the field to help out with blocking. And that's why they, they leave the tight end in there sometimes. But I think when, you know, when they're backed up, their best package is, you know, putting those four guys out there together and, and letting them go to work. And that's not even, you know, fully getting a guy like Gary Bryant Jr. incorporated yet. You know, I've seen him a couple times. Uh, so I think that their receivers have done fine. You know, we haven't seen, I mean, Drake London has been a beast over the middle, making great catches going up. Amon Ross St. Brown is such a technician running, running routes and stuff was, it, you're just shocked when he drops a pass like he did in this game. But then the very next play, it's third and one, and he goes and makes the block that, that opens up the lane for, uh, Vavai Malapaya coming in motion and kicking out a guy. So, uh, you give him credit for bouncing back with that. Tyler Vons has been pretty consistent, and Brew McCoy is really coming on. And now you got a little bit of a position battle out there because Brew McCoy gets the start over Tyler Vons. He played more snaps than Tyler Vons in this game. Uh, so we'll see where that one kind of goes. Is this kind of the changing of the guard with a guy like Brew McCoy who's super physical? And I said, I know Joe Klatt hates them, you know, those wide receiver screens on first down. But if, if they're giving you off coverage and you can put Brew McCoy with Drake London blocking or the other way around, uh, throw that ball out there and just see how many yards they can pick up because every time it seems like it's six, seven, eight, nine yards on first down, and I'll take that every day. Mm -hmm. Now, Ryan, for you, overall looking at this team, does it feel like it, it's weird? Because it's I said this on the Parasol podcast. It's the Alicia Deartola analogy of USC is the A student. They're pulling in C's and B's. I think this is like a B plus performance. Sure. It just feels a little bit Debbie Downer to then go, well, you could have you could have scored more. You could have really blown out Utah. You look at what Washington was able to do against Arizona and you're like, this team is not fully there yet. And why is it that we're another season saying, hey, we have to watch this team progress over the, the entire course of the season rather than being ready game one? I mean, is that too critical of this team? Or is this just... I, you know, I I don't know where to go on this, Ryan, and, and you take it away from here. Yeah, it's tough because the team overall is 3-0. and And like I said, the, the two toughest games on the schedule you thought were Arizona State and Utah, and USC beat them both. You know, one was a miracle. One was, you know, 16-point win. It's nothing to, to sneeze at. But, I, you know, what I wrote about today is, like, when you're looking at any sort of competition, there's usually three things you're looking you're, – you're, like, three factors that will come into play, like – if Keely, you and me are playing chess, um, how do I play? How do you play? And then what, what's the environment we're playing in? Like, are, are, you know, there's there's going to be different factors of that. Maybe not for chess as much, but you know, and it, you know, there's there's going to be these X factors around. Like, I just played ten games in a row, and or whatever it is, or I just studied from something. Like, there's different factors that are like kind of outside that we bring into this competition. And for USC, they're part of it. They just haven't looked like they've played well. They haven't played 
to the level of talent that they have. You know, they it seems like they're they're just they're playing good enough, but the teams they've played have all been at some sort of disadvantage. Either it's the first game, they've got guys coming off COVID stuff. I mean, there's always something kind of weird going on with that. You know, with Arizona, they didn't get to open their season. With Utah, they you know two, twice they didn't get to open their season. Um, and some of their best players and you know end up being out. You're trying to figure out who your quarterback is, and you know just in the overall environment. Like I, you know, Clay Helton, I asked him about you know playing in Salt Lake City. Usually, that's a huge advantage for Utah, and it wasn't this time. The must wasn't there, and so there's all these different factors as far as the environment stuff goes. And I think a lot of those have worked out in USC's favor. So these things that maybe aren't in your control, if your opponent just doesn't play well that day, or uh, you know, there's normally there's going to be something you know difficult to do that you know if, if it's raining on the golf course or whatever, it makes the greens. Um, you know, softer, and it was usually a very hard course to, to stop a ball on. Like, hey, that's something that you can use to your advantage. It seems like those little things have kind of worked out in USC's favor. So when you don't play all that well, you know, it's still, it, you, you don't need to play that well to actually end up winning the game. And I think that's what's, you know, happening here. Because when you look at this Utah team and you see like, yeah, they just don't look quite the same. You know, just, it wasn't the, the Utah that you would expect that in two weeks from now, they might look a lot different. Then I think that's why your expectations go even higher. In general, if you're looking at this Utah on your schedule, you're playing them in Salt Lake City, uh, you know, that's just a win. Like if you win that game, that's good enough. But in this case, you kind of saw it. There just wasn't the excitement, I guess, in this game. I mean, there were some big plays, you know, that the, the, the Christian run of 47 yards. Um, I mean, I don't know what one of the more exciting plays is when, when Utah's quarterback took off and ran for 32 yards. But there wasn't like the super memorable stuff that were happening. Yeah. But at, at the end of the day, it's a 16 point win over, you know, your the, the team that won the division in the last two years. So I think you got to take it, but you could, it's pretty obvious. Like just looking at it, there's something that was, you know, left to be desired there. Yeah. Shotgun, what's your assessment three games in? That USC is a team that there's some progression, especially on the defensive side. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that you saw last night that, they can continue to get better, and I think that's partly first-year coordinator. You know, it takes a little bit of time to get things going, especially when you don't have spring camp and all, all those stuff that, you know, have factored into it that we start, we're starting to see what this defense could actually be. I think the linebackers really helped out by the fact that the way that Utah plays, I think that's why they looked uh, really good in this. We'll see against Colorado if it's similar, if they continue to take that step forward. Um, um, we'll see if Pali and Itiote is back, if they insert him right back in. That's a big question still. So I think the defense is progressing, but the def- the offense is leaving a lot of points out, out there. And, you know, Clay Helton said a lot of teams would score 33 points and be happy with it. And we go, God, there's still some, there's still some meat on the bone. That was his quote there. Um, but it's true. They could be putting up 40 to 50 points a game. It comes down to, short yardage situations and red zone efficiency. Those are the two areas where they're really struggling. Now, is it because the offense struggles when the, the defense can be backed up and you know the, the field shrinks a little bit? That probably has something to do with it. But the the third the short yardage situations, if you pick those up, you know, that you can continue to move the chains. Um, I, I think if they do better in the red zone and it, you know it's it's pretty bad right now. They're below 50% um on i think it's around 50 percent for fill for touchdowns on red zone opportunities that you know if you you need to be up around 65 70 percent to be a really good offense and that's where they're at right now if somehow they correct those things the offense could take off too is it a step at a time 
maybe, maybe with USC that they can't kind of put everything together all at once, and maybe they take a step at a time. You see the defense got a little bit better this week. Maybe next week, you know, the, the offense kind of breaks out. It could still happen. But the problem is that's the thing that's been the case with this USC team for multiple years now is you, you feel like, oh, when is it going to? When's it going to get come all together? When's it all come together? And it seems like you're waiting for that every week. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to go to a caller on the line. I believe it is our buddy Dave from Iowa. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hello, can you guys hear me? Yes. Awesome. All right, so again, Dave from Iowa right here. And, um, yeah, so uh, I wanted to talk about recruiting. Um I noticed last week that uh, Philip Riley out of Florida decommitted from USC and committed back to Notre Dame. So, you know, going back to the whole recruiting thing of like, oh, I don't think, or at least I guess for you guys, the whole recruiting theory of like, I don't think one game changes a recruit's mind. You think this one did after Notre Dame beating Clemson? No, I don't think so because it, it doesn't come down to one game, whether you win or lose. It comes down to everything around the atmosphere, comes down to the depth chart. There's just so many more things that go into besides one game. Because if you want to say that it's down to one, one uh, the only time I would think it may be down to one game is if two teams that you were considering, which would be for Philip Riley, would be USC and Notre Dame, if they played each other and you see something during that game that really sways your opinion. But otherwise... You know, they look at it more when, when a team struggles, they go, oh, okay, that's where I can fill in and that's where I'll turn things around. Uh, recruits just in general are very optimistic. You know, they have a lot of ego to begin with because they're really good. And so they're very optimistic that they'll be the one that makes the big change. And the coaches really sell them on that as well, any, any of the spots. So I don't think that he was swayed just by uh, Notre Dame beating Clemson. If they lost to Clemson, I don't think he suddenly would have been like, well, can't, can't look at Notre Dame anymore. Um, I think he was, you know, obviously he was committed to Notre Dame before he flipped to USC and Notre Dame continued to recruit him and, you know, he committed back to them. So that's just part of recruiting and USC will continue to recruit Philip Riley. And who knows, you could see one of those uh, carousels where he's on, on the bus and off the bus back and forth. Yeah. And Gerard likes to tell the story where for Manti Teo, who, you know, the, the five-star linebacker out of Hawaii that everyone thought was going to go to USC ends up going to Notre Dame. His official visit, he's on the sidelines. It's snowing. Notre Dame is losing to Navy. Students are throwing snowballs at the players. They're so mad. And he committed to Notre Dame. So I don't know. I mean, they're, an individual game like that, a negative result could actually be a positive for a recruit because they think they could come in and turn things around. So if Manti Teo could take that official visit and get snowballs thrown at him from the students and they're losing to Navy, you know, I, I don't think other games don't really going to matter all that much. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dave. We had a, a question that said, can only people from Iowa call in? That's not true. Anyone can call in from anywhere. And to prove that, I believe we have Bobby in LA on the line. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Hi, Kelly. What a day. Ryan Shotgun Keeley, good afternoon and good evening. How are you? Hello, Bobby. Couple points I wanted to make. First and most important point I wanted to make. Uh, I I just I didn't see the beginning of the show. I wanted to comment on J T. Daniels throwing for 401 yards in his first start yesterday. I think that J T. Daniels is gonna. I mean, USC fans are gonna rue the day because I I don't know about uh, Graham Harrell, but I think uh, you lose your job to an injury, you should have a chance to g- give be given the opportunity to win it back 
and I believe he wasn't given the chance, and that's why he left. And second of all, I believe that USC's defense is overrated, and if given the chance to play a real team, we'll see where we really stand. I think 3-0 and is, is nice as window dressing, but with the, where the meat and potatoes are, using your analogy, is I think the, the platter looks good. But we haven't tasted the real what's inside yet. And I have a feeling that maybe one day soon, when we play a real team, uh, we'll be given a choice. Utah first game jitters are, I mean, to win secondary at the at best just doesn't feel as satisfying uh, so far three games into the new regime of the assistant coaches i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not satisfied yet okay bobby happy thanksgiving to you all three happy thanksgiving bobby thanks for calling thanks, in bobby. here's the problem bobby first of all what what is the next real team on the schedule like i said the two toughest games are already behind usc mm-hmm. there's no notre dame there's no alabama there's no washington there's no oregon those teams are combined 20 and 0 right now so you don't get to play them you might be able to play oregon or washington in the championship game but for the for right now, Colorado's like, hey, they look feisty. They look pretty good. They're two and zero. That's going to be like a big deal. Um, there might not be a real game on the schedule as far as someone that's going to test them because I I don't think USC looked that good, but Utah didn't look very good either, and they look worse. So that's one of those things where you you know you didn't need to play great because your opponent didn't play all that well. And the JT Daniel stuff is baffling to me. So when when we, there's a lot of USC fans that were like, he sucks, he's terrible. Look at when he started as a freshman. Here's all his numbers. And we, we said, like, that was a terrible offense. He had a – there was a bad offensive line. They didn't – it wasn't – it was just the gumbo offense. Wait till he gets an offense that actually helps the quarterback. In comes Graham Harrell. He gets an offense that's going to help the quarterback. He looked good for a half, gets hurt, and he's out. Um, and then there were people just saying, like, he's bad. Like, why is he even in there? And they love Keen Slovis, which is fine. Like, Keen Slovis was great. But the whole time I said, if JT Daniels didn't get hurt – he would have had great numbers all last year, too. I thought that. And people are like, no, he was awful. That's all Keaton Slovis. And then he goes to Georgia, and he has a great game. It's not a great defense, but whatever. You throw for 400 yards, four touchdowns. Like, that was great. You, you Hats off to JT Daniels. He fought back from the injury, and he was able to play well. But now people have to complain the other way, saying, like, oh, they should have kept JT Daniels. Why did they let him? You know, it's like, so it's baffling to me. I was like, both quarterbacks are good. The people were saying JT Daniels sucks because they didn't like the way he played his freshman year. The offense sucked. He had a better offense. He looked better. He's in a pretty, you know, I, I don't like the offense. He was at Georgia. I mean, he was, they're running the ball, running the ball for nothing, nothing. And third and 10, he's got to throw the ball. Uh, but still, he, you can tell he's a good quarterback. So what we were telling you guys, he's good. He got hurt. He had a better offense. So I, I the, the angst around this is just baffling to me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Shadi, any thoughts you want to add on to that? I don't understand the narrative that uh, the JT lost this, um, battle to lost his position because of injury. He didn't get Wally Pip necessarily here. Uh, there was supposed to be an open competition whenever he was healthy. Mm-hmm. He never was healthy at USC. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's not like he waited around and he went through a camp and USC didn't give him a fair shake. He decided to leave before and, you know, he wasn't even cleared to begin at Georgia. So he was in that battle without being cleared. So I don't think that I, that came up on Saturday and I was just like, what? I, I missed this because that's not exactly what happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, JT looked really good on Saturday. It baffled me, baffles me that 
Georgia took so long to give, give him his opportunity, yeah. which makes you wonder if he still wasn't healthy, you mm -hmm. know, for them. Um, so there, there's some question marks there. And if Keaton Slovis was playing at the level he's playing at last year, nobody would say, they'd be say, oh man, congratulations, JT Daniels. We still got the guy we like. Um, I, I think it's just because Slovis is struggling this year. And maybe it's just a sophomore slump for Slovis, and that's gotten into his head. I think Gerard made a great point yesterday during the game is that just because he's a sophomore and everyone has been preparing for him all offseason. All these defense coordinators have gone, we got to shut down Slovis if we want to shut down USC. If we want to win the Pac-12 South, what do we got to do? Oh, beat USC. So what do we got to do? Stop Slovis. They've been game planning for him all offseason. So maybe that goes into it and making the adjustments uh, and, and taking uh, what he can get, those type of things that he's working through. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's something, it looks like confidence to me. And maybe there's some arm issues as well. Uh, for, stemming from that Holiday Bowl injury that he suffered uh, from AJ Epinesa, so those are big question marks. But the whole talk about JT Daniels and you know people ruined the day that JT they didn't give JT a fair shake. Was it JT left because in, in part because there was a pandemic and he thought that they would play in the SEC and didn't know if they would in the Pac-12. Yeah, people I, want to blame Clay Helton for everything. Like this is not Clay Helton's fault. Like I, there, there's a lot of blame for Clay Helton. This is not. You know, him. I, I thought it was weird that JT Daniels left because he would have had a lot of opportunity to play. Uh, you thought USC would be blowing teams out, but obviously the pandemic and everything changed all that. And like, like Shotgun said, the SEC was going to play. It looked like the Pac-12 wasn't. He was going to get his chance to go there and uh, and play. Mm -hmm. On a whim, I looked up uh, some Keaton Slovis numbers real quick, and one of the things that you know we talked about how he's not really pressing the ball downfield last season. He had 29% of his throws, 29% of his completions, 34% of his throws were over 10 yards. Um, and this season, it's down to 21% of his completions and 27% of his throws. So he's just not throwing the ball as deep right now. Um, and, and there's some different things that I'm looking at the numbers on, but uh, you know, he's, he's not taking those shots as much on those he's he's not completing as much on the the ones over 20 percent 42 percent to 57 last year um he did complete over 10 yards between 10 and 20 a little bit better last season but he's throwing he's throwing the check downs now part of that is the defenses he's facing but still those you know those 50 50 balls that you trust your receiver out there it's not he's not being able to hit guys in stride so they can jump up and catch a ball those type of things there's, there's just he's not being able to throw the ball downfield as much and you can see that a little bit in those numbers Alrighty, let's continue on with our callers. We have Dr. K from Salt Lake City, I believe. So, hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I've called in the past before, haven't been in a while. I just want to say, you know, I've been following um, USC football every, every single game. Haven't missed a game since 2010 when my son enrolled and graduated in 2014. And I really want to thank you. I've been following you. Uh, all this time and thank you for all your input we, we really have enjoyed uh watching you with wednesdays thursdays uh instant analysis so that's the first thing i want to say thank, thank you uh, for all your insight into it um i have i know you only want one question i have real quick questions but ryan um i'd, I'd like to get your uh input as to uh, the last game of the season with UCLA after them really having an opportunity to beat Oregon. And and real quick, uh, I know you want, don't want to talk about future coaches or anything, but I was watching the Iowa State game, and the announcer was talking about Matt Campbell. 
and and what he has done, uh, and, and he's recruited a lot from Florida. But what he's done with three, maybe four star players, and literally, and this is what the announcer was saying, and turning them into five star players, which I know you've said over many seasons how we haven't been able to do that. But if you can comment on that, uh, I'd appreciate it. Thanks very much, and and keep it up. Thanks, Dr. Thank K. You, he, yeah, he sure. buttered us up with a compliment and then broke two rules. So he, he did both. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I like Matt Campbell. So that it's weird because there's a lot of, you know, when you're obviously there's no coaching opening. When people talk about who's going to be the next head coach or whatever, there would be some hot names like a Dino Babers at, uh, at Syracuse have come up. And then they just like, they're terrible. Like James Franklin was one. They're 0-5 right now at Penn State. You can't go out and hire a coach that's 0-5. Uh, but Matt and Matt Campbell's had some some up and downs, but I think for the most part, you know, he's in a Power Five league, he's in a non-traditional power, and he's done a good job, sort of like the Utah model, where maybe you're you're getting some guys that maybe are under the radar a little bit, but you develop them and you and you you build it into uh, you, know, you you turn those guys into you know, higher rated guys than what you recruited them at. So you know, the, the whole question will be, what could guys like that do with better talent? We saw UCLA with Chip Kelly. That didn't seem to, you know, that didn't seem to work out that well. Um, but you know, yeah, I think he's a he'd be a great candidate. Luke Fickle is going to be another one that, that's going to come up a lot, especially with the Mike Bone connection. But that's if a, a change happens, and you know, that's not happening this season. I don't think, no matter what. Uh, as far as UCLA goes, they, I mean, they were really feisty against Oregon to go on the road to not have your starting quarterback. They watched that, watched UCLA play because the first game when they played Colorado, they looked like crap like they were pretty terrible but that's like sort of the first game thing and you know they didn't get to practice as much just because of the california stuff but since then they've looked good i mean the, the fact that they can run the football uh as as effectively as they do felton is like a I mean, big powerful back i mean i like the way he's running um and the defense is really aggressive uh i think they're up at the line of scrimmage a lot they're really daring you to to take a shot down the field They'll play man and early downs and then maybe drop off a little bit. They, they, I mean, this is a real, it's a way better team than I thought they'd be, at least the last two games. They gave Oregon all they could handle. So UCLA is probably not going to have a great record, and USC might have the division locked up by the time they play the Bruins because, you know, beating Colorado is pretty much secure things. But, man, like that's going to be, I think that they're a tough team from what I've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Your preseason picks, Ryan, Colorado, Undefeated, UCLA yeah. looking better. Chase Garbers, eh, he so got good. better though. He got better. Okay, than last okay, year. but we'll still, see. you you were. There, not- there's some coming, but I'm 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 three and zero picking the Trojans against the spread. So I said no cover, no cover, cover, and I've nailed them all. So that's good. Well, yeah, they go. covered on the road, and you know they did it pretty easily. So that was surprising. So yeah, that was. was a, so it, it's tough with USC in a big spread because we've seen them just blow that before. This weekend with Colorado is going to be, I think, like 11, 11, 13 points, something like that. Yeah, so I might, I might be taking the buffs on this one. But we'll see. Interesting. Okay, I'm going to jump into questions because we're almost at the top of the hour. Uh, wow. Joe Trojan said, what did USC change on third down for defense? I actually stopped throwing things around my house on third downs. <laughs> They did give up a third 13, like 32-yard quarterback run to a non-mobile quarterback. But outside of that, it was pretty good. I don't think they, there was a third down conversion in the second half. But that one that one was, uh, you're like, oh, what happened there? Big breakdown. 
Yeah, that and that was after there was a third and three, and Isaiah Paul Mal had a tackle, and the the guys he tackled the shoe, and the guy pulled out of his shoe <laughs> and made it, and they called a holding to call it back. Um, so twice they could have got off the field there, maybe got the ball back before halftime. That's one of those one of those potential separator areas that I've talked about. Um, you know, I, I think that you've got to give a lot of credit to Todd Orlando. Because the last two weeks, they've made the adjustments. And in the second half, the uh, neither opponent has picked up a third down conversion in the second half. So, you know, both teams are over now. I think both teams do have, you know, Arizona and Utah. I think both had one fourth down conversion. But, you know, they're doing some different things. They're bringing pressures from a lot of different areas. There was one pressure that I really like. We're going to break down on film study in a couple of days um, that they sent Drake Jackson inside from the edge and then brought Raymond Scott and they brought Talano Hufunga from the outside. So they influenced the entire offensive line bringing Drake Jackson because he's a guy you have to pay attention to. Then Raymond Scott gets there first. He takes out the, the running back, picks him up, does a good, nice job picking him up, but nobody's there to get Talanoa. He hits the quarterback in the back and the throw is incomplete. So they're doing things, you know, they're bringing blitz, blitzes from different areas. They're doing different pressures. They're dropping Drake Jackson at times. You know, he, he was dropping on the, the play that he caught the, the, the potential screen pass for an interception. Mm-hmm. So they, they're doing different things and they're mixing it up. And I think that's what's unique about Todd Orlando's defense is that it's pressure from a lot of different places but it's not really consistent where it's coming from. So he's trying to make that quarterback think all the time, all right, who's coming, where are they coming from? And I think that uh, especially when you get to a backup quarterback, even someone as experienced as Jake Bentley, you know, with as much time that he had starting uh, for for South Carolina, if you get to a backup quarterback, then you got to re- feel really confident that you can kind of confuse them and, uh, and create some havoc up front. Mm-hmm. We had some questions about personnel, which reminds me that we didn't talk about Clay Holden's injury updates in his Sunday night press conference. So Raylan Goforth suffered a foot sprain in his TBD. I think they want to see what he'll look like in practice this week. Uh, Marquis Step has a pectoral strain, Helton described as a chest strain, uh, in Sunday's call. Stephen Carr took a knee to the back of his helmet in the game. That was something that we didn't get full clarity on on Saturday. He clarified it on Sunday. Uh, Caleb Tremblay, who had stingers, did not play, but Helton is hopeful he will progress this week. Uh, Palaie Naoto Ote remains in concussion protocol right now, and then Brandon Peely and Brett Nealon both played against U- Utah and didn't suffer any setbacks as of right now. So uh, there is your personnel updates for Raylan Goforth, Shadi. Uh, if that is an issue, what are you looking at right now? Is Raymond Scott getting more time, and then you still are TBD on EA? It's just inside linebackers; they're going down like flies. Yeah, I mean, if you know, EA is still, Pelia Natiote is still in concussion protocol right now. Clay Helton said they'll see where he's at this week. Uh, Raylan Goforth, they'll see where he is with that the plantar fascia strain. Um, so if for some reason both those guys are out, man, you're looking at it and you're going, you, you look at the all-star cast of players that aren't playing that position right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, you got to wonder where Taylor Katoa is, you know, coming back from the mission. Is he a part of that? To receiving Nomura has to be a guy that steps up as a you know on that second string, but Raymond Scott's the guy that's got to come forward and play some more. He played some in this game. They used him in some some special packages at, for blitzing the quarterback and doing some different things. Obviously, nowhere near as many snaps as he had against Arizona, but he's the guy that will have to step forward for them. Uh, and and to receiving Nomura is a guy that they talked a little bit about in the preseason that I think would need to step forward as well. Maybe you see some kind of switch. You know, is there someone on this roster that can move down from safety or back from 
you know, outside linebacker. I don't know. The, no one really see, step, jumps out to you, but getting Jacob Lichtenstein back, getting Brandon Peel, you got more on the defensive line. If there's someone you feel comfortable, you think can make that switch, maybe it's the time you would do it now. But there's really not a, you know, a great body there that I can think of. Uh, Juliana Falanico could play some inside, but he's still recovering from his injury. So, yeah, you know, there's just a lot of guys that are down right now. So if you don't have anyone that you feel comfortable with, you trust Raymond Scott and you, you trust Kanai Malga to go make some plays. And you also just set it up where you don't have a ton of linebackers on the field all the time. USC in this game, for the first time, they used a, what I call a true dime, you know, four down lineman with one uh, linebacker and 60 Bs behind them. That's the first time they'd shown that this season. They used that in this game a little bit. Normally it's been a 3-2-6 alignment. Uh, this time they took a linebacker off the field. So maybe you see something different like that where you're playing Talanoa or Isaiah Polamau. Uh, in the box more, and you just have you know you have six DBs on the field and only one linebacker, and have one of those guys being down there all the time to kind of fill the void as a linebacker. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I saw that shotgun when they used the true dime, I think it was after Raylan Goforth came out of the game when he was limping around a little bit. Plus, they were trying you know playing sort more of a prevent defense because it was late in the game. So curious if they would use that more going forward. But yeah, I was I was watching like who's coming in. And they did, you know, they did have the, the six DBs out there. But sometimes you'd see like a Talanoa almost playing in a linebacker spot. So it was still like a dime, but he seemed like he was basically where Raylan Goforth, Goforth was before. Yeah, and I think you can move a guy like Talanoa and put him in a Sua Craven-style role. Now, you don't even have to have him off the edge like Sua was doing, but, you know, he played linebacker and was kind of that tweener for, for the NFL. I think Talanoa could fit that. You've seen both him and Isaiah Polamau and Polamau more this game than we had seen in the previous two weeks playing in the box and being around the line of scrimmage at the snap, even when they're not blitzing. Usually those guys are blitzing when they're down in the box, but there there were several times where they weren't. I'm putting us into rapid fire, gentlemen. So quicker answers, please. On Facebook, Mike said, uh, do you think to help out the offensive line, they should do more draws and screens? We saw some draws. Yeah, they they worked pretty well on this one, you know. But the thing is, is now teams are going to plan for it. The draws worked a few times the, the last couple of weeks. Now teams are going to be on the lookout for it. Uh, so so keep an eye and see how USC adjusts to that. Their screen game has really struggled this year. Outside yeah. of the you know the, the RPO wide receiver screens that I raved about earlier, their regular screen, like the one to running backs, has really struggled. Now, I don't know yeah. if that's just the timing of linemen. You know, that's the biggest issue with screens a lot of time is getting those linemen you know, how long do you hold the defense lineman, then get out, and can you release and get out and get a block? Uh, they haven't done a really good job the first few games doing that. Yeah, that's been a historic USC thing for whatever reasons. Running back screens, like just <laughs> having it all set up just always looks – there's something always wrong. I don't know what it's been, but I don't remember the last time one was like, oh, that was great. It worked perfectly. Interesting. Oscar on Facebook says, can USC's defense keep winning games uh, since the offense isn't clicking as usual, or was it just a Utah thing? I think there's a Utah – you know, what Utah likes to do and be physical, running downhill and, you know, control the clock a little bit more. I think that played in to, to USC's strengths there with their two inside linebackers. But, yeah, I think this defense can continue to progress. I think the front is playing really well right now. The pass rush, the defense alignment are playing great right now. And no one's giving credit. But part of the reason why Todd Orlando can bring all these blitzes is, is because they're playing man coverage across the back and – you know, Chris Steele's given up a couple catches. Elijah Griffin's given up a couple catches. Isaiah Polamalu gave it the touchdown in this game. But 
they're not giving up many big plays. You had the one big one against Arizona, uh, which I think was probably a busted coverage more than just you know physically getting beat there. But those guys are playing really well in the back end, which allows you know Todd Orlando to draw up a bunch of different things and combine that with the defensive line playing well just on their own. It, it's working really well for USC right now, and I think it can continue to get better. We had a question from Jim on YouTube who says, I liked how SC shored up the middle, but SC's weaknesses or weakness seems to be the edge. Did they do better or did Utah just not attack there? Utah tried to attack on the yeah. edge. I mean, their second play of the game, you know, they tried to get outside and Elijah Griffin had a tackle. They tried to, you know, they got out a couple times. They tried to run a revert or a, a jet sweep with Ty Jordan, the freshman running back from Texas. The USC recruited really hard. He had a couple nice plays in this, but then he had one where it was a nice play down the right side, and they tried to immediately take a jet sweep to the left. Isaiah Polamalu stopped it for a two-yard gain, I think. So they tried to attack those areas, but USC was pretty good in, in that uh, situation. You know, there weren't any, there weren't a ton of gashing plays. There, the couple of plays that uh, Utah did have running the ball did get outside, but uh, overall, I thought they were they were okay, okay to to good in that area. Mm-hmm. We have a couple questions about Washington State. The Apple Cup was canceled today already. So this is going to be, I believe, the fifth team that's either had uh, started their season against USC or had a forced buy before playing USC. Wacky scenario. Uh, but people wanted to know, are is USC already looking ahead at Wazoo and a potential backup if something happens? And, and what are you expecting from that Wazoo matchup if it happens and they have that forced buy prior to, they do have a forced buy prior to facing USC? Yeah, I don't think you can look ahead. I mean, because you have a Colorado team that's in your division. Now, the Washington State game counts just as much as Colorado, but it's a division foe. And if you lose to Colorado and Colorado ends up winning all its games, you're not going to win the division. So I think that's an important one. I don't think you're going to see USC overlook Colorado, but it is interesting that you're going to get those two teams back-to-back weeks. Now, we haven't seen Washington State. We're not going to have seen them for a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, we, we heard Jaden Delora wasn't going to be able to play this weekend if their game wasn't canceled. It ended up being canceled. Next week's game is already canceled. So the good thing about for Washington State, when they get it canceled early, all preparation can now be towards USC. They were thinking about the Apple Cup, obviously. When you get a game canceled on Friday, which we've seen in the Pac-12, uh, then you can't really do an extra, you know, extra preparation. So anything they can do this week, guys that aren't in quarantine, guys that can prepare, they can now focus on USC. They've already played a couple of games, so you've seen uh, Washington State out there. So I think there's a little bit of an advantage there where you get a couple weeks off. But I think there's no substitute for actually playing and getting to play every week. Kaleo has talked about this. It really is a privilege. It's lucky. Uh, USC's done some good things that they've been able to stay healthy and not have cases and not have guys in quarantine and play. But there's some luck involved in that, too. USC's opponents haven't had to quarantine and sit out games. So... Um, you know, they've, they've caught teams, you know, Utah missed a couple games. They came back to USC. Washington State's missing a couple games. They came back to USC. So there's there's some benefits there, but I don't think USC is overlooking Colorado. You can't do that with an undefeated divisional opponent. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think the team is looking forward to Washington State and what the potential there is. Um, but the administrators, I think they probably yeah. are looking forward and going, okay, what happens if Washington State's not available you know, how long do we wait for the Pac-12 to, you know, see if another team is not available? Or do we go to a team like BYU who doesn't play until December 12th? 
And that was kind of the, that's been the back and forth, uh, um, among some of the national reporters today about, you know, the potential of a Washington versus BYU game. And does BYU want to wait until see what their ranking is? Or, you know, one person, I think it was Bruce Feldman said that they want the contract and they want it to be signed now instead of, you know, the Pac-12 saying, well, we'll see where the rest of our games are at and then potentially canceling on a Thursday. So uh, there, there's a lot of back and forth going on with those potential out-of-conference games if the, the Pac-12, if, if a game is canceled. So we'll see. I think the administrators will probably be looking into all that and trying to have that planned out for if, uh, if Washington State's not available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know USC was looking at Utah and possibilities there uh, when that already looked like an issue. So I believe they would have to be on a wazoo as well. The thing I'm curious about is, you know, reality check, COVID restrictions in California are getting tighter as we progress. And so if that interferes with the college football landscape uh, in California, just something to watch out for there. Uh, give, Give credit to USC. Yeah. They've done you a know, great they, job. They, you're not asking each week, oh, are they going to play, are they not, because of what they're doing. So, so far, they've done a great job of being on top of, of their COVID stuff and, and making sure that their players are healthy and ready to go. And that's why they're one of two – there's one, one of three teams that hasn't had a game canceled, I believe. Uh, Oregon has had a game rescheduled um, from a Friday to a Saturday or backward, the other way around. But, you know, they're, they're doing their best and doing what they have to do to be able to play – and now they just got to hope that their opponents are all doing the same as well. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've had to go on a plane the last two weeks. That can tend to be an issue sometimes. It apparently has not been. And the next three games are all in the Los Angeles area. So that's a good thing. They're, they're bus rides from now on. No more planes. Yep. Yeah. So credit to them. Bob on Facebook says, why does USC refuse to take a fair catch on kickoffs? They continue to come up short at least six to seven yards on every kickoff. I talked about this last year, and it's still happening. And, and, you know, Sean Snyder talked about this. They want their guys to go out there and make a play. But they really haven't had great kick returns, and they're, they're getting stopped short of the 20 sometimes even. So, you know, five, six yards. I think that makes a difference over time. But, yeah, that, that's just kind of their aggressive nature. I think in general, special teams have been really good. If you want to nitpick a little bit, that's one of the aspects. The, the kick return game just hasn't really been great. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've only had a handful of opportunities, so – I think there's some antsiness there too. To hey, yeah. I'm Gary Bryant Jr. I'm not getting to play much on offense. I want to show what I can do. Yeah, type yeah. of thing because he's been the guy back there the last couple of weeks. And hey, I'm Sean Snyder. I'm a special teams coach. I want to make a spectacular play so everybody realizes. Hey, I'm I'm a guy that needs to be sticking around here. I don't know if he would do that. I, I mean, Gary Bryan. You want to you want to be impressive. You don't want to come and sure, just be like everyone. Like who's the their team. special teams coach? They got a new guy. Okay. Um, we had a couple questions about USC's tackling so, uh, in the third game, three games into the season. Some people I've seen in the comments are suggesting that USC ha- has stopped tackling already at practice. We're not at practice. We can't tell you. But how yeah. would you assess USC's tackling right now? I think it got better. I wouldn't say they stopped tackling. I mean, there's there's less solo tackles. There's more assists. But, you know, some of that is just swarming to the football. I think Utah had more significantly more solo tackles than USC did, but I'm seeing them, you know, fly around the ball a little bit more. There were some plays for sure that you know, they maybe stopped for a, a short game. They turned into a first down. There's some things like that that were happening, but I think for the most part, it's been pretty good. I've not looked at the tackling and go, wow, this is a, a huge problem. Yeah, USC, according to Pro Football Focus, USC had 10 missed tackles in this game. Utah had 14. Um, so, you bested your opponent. Now, what number do you do you look at and say that's a great number? That's a good number. That's a terrible number. 
that's hard for me to say, um, you know, and it depends on the number of plays that you're seeing as well. So uh, 10, 10 missed tackles isn't terrible. It's not great from my, my assessment. So I, I think that you're seeing there were a couple that you go, oh, they got to make that tackle. But most of the time when they miss a tackle, there's somebody else there. You know, yeah. I, I think they really rallied to the football really well against Utah. Mm-hmm. We had a question from Herman on YouTube that says, uh, why doesn't USC establish the running game first? Do they not have what it takes to do, the, do that? It seems like physical teams will do that. I don't think you can call USC a physical team. Yeah. I know when you run an air raid offense, you're rarely going to be called physical. That's not going to be the first word that people describe you as. Um, I think that they're better when they throw to set up the run. But they got to be able to throw, and you know, if Keaton Slovis can't make some of the throws that that he's able, capable of making, um, then you know, you're going to struggle with some things there. I was interesting. I actually looked this up earlier today. How quick does USC run their first snap, their first called run play each game? Under Graham Harrell, can you guess what the average play it is that they uh, that they call their first run? Uh, third play. It's like 3.6, so almost the fourth play of every game. <laughs> now, and that's it, that includes. I think it was the fourth play in this game. I think the first three get, yeah. three were passed. Yeah, fourth play, fourth in this game. Uh, they've had three games uh, that they've uh, that they've called a run on the first play. So that's out of uh, sixteen now. So three out of sixteen for USC under Graham Harrell. Uh, they've gone as long as eight plays, the eighth play of the game before calling their first run once. Wow, so. interesting. Ryan, we can hear you if you're tapping your fingers on your table. Uh, <laughs> MC says, since we couldn't see those two drives, can we get a food analogy for the time ESPN's cameras went out? Ryan, so it's your time to shine. I was listening to, I don't know about the food analogy off the top of it, but I was listening to the game on the radio, and it was, I don't know, maybe like 10 seconds ahead of the, the broadcast. And they were still, you know, they were still announcing the game. So I knew what was going on. I would tweet out like what was going on. Whatever, but then when it just goes away on the TV, and I watched the replay, so I didn't really pay attention. And then they went to like some other highlight show, and then they came back. That was really weird. And having remote, uh, you know, analysts, they couldn't, they couldn't do anything. They were reading like tw- they might have been reading my tweets, you know, like who knows? It was just funny, yeah, like what they were doing. Yeah. yeah. My analogy: If you ever heard of blind dining, you know, where it's all pitch black and it's supposed to enhance the senses, uh, so you taste better. <laughs> There's one yeah. in LA. You know, I don't know if it, if you guys have heard of this. Um, I think it's a fascinating idea and the science behind it, but this was kind of like blind dining, except you hear something has crashed through the wall and you're like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if there's like someone, are we getting robbed here? Is someone holding up this joint in the dark? What's going on here? Um, but that's kind of how it was. You're just like checking stat broadcasts. Like, is this, what's place happening? Where are we at? What's going on? Before it finally came back on. Yeah. Poor Tuli Tui Pelotu, his first career sack. I mean, I'm hoping USC will like give us access to their all 22 of those like those five or six snaps that we missed, so we can see what the hell actually happened. Yeah, yeah. We also have a fun story. Like, well, you know, the ESPN cameras. And um, like normally, one of us would be there, and because of all the COVID concerns, no. we that's the first time we didn't send anybody to a game, and I, I mean, in years, like I don't know how many years yeah. we've not had someone at a game, and maybe more more than a decade, I bet. Uh, but yeah, so no, we didn't even have everyone there live watching it. It drove me insane because I was like, this would have been my time to shine. <laughs> you know, oh well. Uh, we had multiple questions about Jake Lichtenstein and how he fits into the defensive front. Chuck, and how do you expect him when he is football ready, whenever that is, how do you expect him to fit in? 
I mean, he's an interesting piece because you can put him in different positions. I thought it was interesting that Brandon Peely was playing the defensive end spot um, beside Marlon Tuipilotu, and he was Brandon Peely was in there a lot of times for pass rush situations. So uh, you know, with his, with both of those guys back, they give you some some interesting versatility, and you can do use them in different ways. So you might be able to mix up your rotations a little bit more. You know, might have specific packages for specific down and distance. Um, I, I think it just gives. Vic Soto and Todd Orlando more options, and that's always a good thing. We had multiple questions about USC's AP ranking. They moved up to 19, I believe, today. Too high, too low. What is your take? I think it's 18 in the AP and 19 in the coaches' poll. They moved I up just one spot. It's 19 in AP, so. Okay, 19 in AP, 18 in the coaches' poll. They moved up one spot in both of them, um, and they're. in the coaches' poll, I think they're right behind Coastal Carolina. So the interesting thing is that. Of the undefeated teams that are ranked, now there's a couple that aren't ranked like Washington and Colorado. Of the undefeated teams that are ranked in the top 25, USC is the lowest. So I thought that was interesting. There's six teams that are in the top 10. There's four that are outside, and USC is one of those four all the way down to 18-19. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't – I mean, Tuesday is what's going to be important with the college football playoff rankings. When those come out, where does USC fit there? You know, USC's just sort of been 20, but when you're – you know, you have – these teams that have played eight, nine games and USC's had two or three, then you're like, okay, well, how are you going to assess this? So I, if they were really blowing teams out, they might move up. But like, basically you think Oregon's the best, you think USC's second best, and they sort of just fit it, you know, fit around them. And um, it'll, it, there'll be some movement. I think if you, USC beats a Colorado team that's undefeated, there might be some, some movement up. But the one to watch is going to be Tuesday in the college football playoffs. Mm-hmm. What hurts USC is that Colorado is getting no love at all. They received no yeah. votes at all in either poll. If somehow like they had snuck in and been 24, 25 this week, just it, it would give that much more cachet. Oh, USC picked up a top 25 win. You know, even though, you know, because like Ohio State, they have a top 25 win over Penn State. Penn State's 0-5. They're terrible. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if you want to if you want to write that in an article, it's like, oh, they have three top 25 wins. You know, they have a top 10 win over Indiana. Is Indiana a top 10 team? Eh, questionable. Um, they looked good in the second half. I'll give them that. Uh, yeah. But you know that's that cachet that comes with that ranking. You know when you play a team, you know USC would be boosted a little bit by having that. But Colorado's getting no love. Washington's not getting really any love either. They're the first team out uh, in one of the polls and like four teams out in the other poll. So you know they looked really good on Saturday and looked like a team that could compete in the North for that title. And that was the team I kind of pegged before the season. I just want to say. <laughs> And I'm, still, and I'm still not sold on Oregon, you know, especially, you know, what, what happened in that UCLA game. They got lucky to win that game. You know, that sequence where it was like turnover, uh, touchdown, turnover, touchdown, or whatever it was. <laughs> Jasper Smith says, uh, with the de- defensive line getting pressure, does it behoove, nice one, Jasper, the USC defense to blitz as much? I think so because they're, they're speeding up the quarterback, even when they're not getting there. Um, and I think Todd Orlando is being selective at times. They've dropped into some coverages, but especially with the quarterbacks they're facing, and I think they'll do the same thing as Colorado. I don't think you, you're facing a Justin Herbert or you know a Sam Darnold or a Keaton Slovis or even Jaden Daniels looked really shaky in that game. You know, No one's really throwing the ball well against them, and I don't think there's any quarterbacks on this. Um, until you get to UCLA and maybe DTR, maybe he looks pretty good, but none of the quarterbacks are really stressing you as a passer. Yeah, Todd Orlando likes to blitz. He's going to keep blitzing, but, you know, maybe a little more selective. But, yeah, he's he's not going to stop blitzing because the defensive line's playing well. 
Okay, Boone has an interesting question. He says, will USC play significantly better, the same, or significantly worse against a team, Colorado, that has finally played a game prior to playing USC? I mean, it's a good question. Uh, yeah. I, I think it's more about how the opponent plays. And I think Utah, you know, if USC played Utah in two weeks, it would be probably, a, you know, it might be a little bit different story. And I think it's going to be different with Colorado. They have a... I mean, they, they found their quarterback, and he's mobile, and he, you know, he was playing safety, man. Like you know, that guy's pretty tough. So uh, it's, I think, I think USC is going to have to step up their game. I'm not saying that they are going to play worse, but they're going to be playing, I think, a better opponent, a more prepared opponent, where you weren't really, you, you could rely on your opponent to screw up a little bit more. Now Colorado still might, but I think they're going to play better than probably everyone USC's played on their schedule so far. Shadi, what's your take? I think they'll play better. Um, I just think playing at home against Colorado, I think USC is going to play better and continue. I th I've got a little bit of hope that they are progressing and uh, a little bit of optimism, which I know is rare around these parts. So, yes. um, But I do have some optimism after seeing what the defense has done in the second halves, both the last two weeks. And we know what the offense can do if Keaton Slovis. That's the big if. Mm -hmm. Anthony says, uh, do we ever see the two-back set? You know, they, the, the interesting part was they talked about it a lot in fall camp. And I was just like, that's surprising that you're referencing that multiple times when you barely used it last year. Yeah. So are you going to suddenly use it more? And they used it a little bit against Arizona State, and we basically haven't seen it since. So yeah. maybe they didn't use it this week because, you know, Marquis Step was out and then Stephen Carr got banged up um, after the only, only the two snaps that he played. So maybe that's why they didn't use it. I don't know, but they, they haven't really used it much or maybe it just wasn't in the game plan this week. They could use it. And with four running backs that you like, you take the tight end off the field and put those two guys in the backfield. I think you're you're happy with that that kind of attack. Yeah. Ryan on YouTube says, uh, do you see Marlon Tupelotu playing his way into a higher draft spot than J2 Fele? I don't know. I mean, at this point, it's possible, but he's he's just been beasting out there. So I think it's, uh, I mean, he's made himself some money for sure. I got a text from a, a former scout who told me that him and uh, Elijah Vera Tucker are both making themselves money this year. So we, you know, you weren't sure about that experiment moving AVT to left tackle. He's been great. Uh, Marlon Tuipelotu has been, you know, just a stud there, especially when, I mean, the way he was standing out like that with the kind of numbers he was putting up the first couple of games. I think he's definitely made himself some money. I don't know if he'll go higher than Jay Tefele, but he's made money. Yeah, he's definitely made money. Uh, we'll cover it on film study this play as well, but watch that sack fumble again. He just beasts the guy, just throws the guard right out of the way and goes and gets the quarterback. And that's the biggest addition to his game, I think, this year, is, is one, consistency. That's the thing a lot of scouts were looking for from him. Uh, but the biggest addition, I think, is the pass rush. The pass rush has been much better this season. Uh, speaking of continuing NFL talk, Mark on YouTube says, is Nick Figueroa playing himself into, into a position to leave early for the NFL draft this year? I don't think so. I, yeah. don't, I don't think he's got the measurables to, to be a guy. He's he's twitchy a little bit coming off the edge. I don't think he's fast enough to be an edge rusher, and I don't know where exactly he fits. He's just kind of a tweener. I think he's a potential really good college player, um, but I don't think that he has the measurables to at the next level that they're looking for. Yeah. Final question, and it comes from Coley, who says, uh, you guys watched the game at home. Did you like it? Did you feel like you see more while at the actual game? Are you influenced by the TV's the TV broadcasters at all? Can you answer this? 
I hated it. (laughs) I complained the whole time. And the thing I realized is that, like, I don't follow any celebration when it happens. I'm looking at, like, okay, did someone get hurt? Did something happen? And there was a a play where Utah did something and they were focusing on Utah defenders. And I was like, show who's on the field because someone looked injured. And I I just didn't like it. I like control. I like looking where I can look. And this was not fun. And I didn't like it. Please get me back (laughs) onto the sideline. Thank you. That was it. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's definitely different. Uh, there's some nice comforts that you can have, like when you're, you know, the, the, that 9 a.m. game when I had my breakfast burrito and a mimosa, that was pretty cool, you know, just more, more for just the kind of like, so I could say I did that. Uh, but I, I do like listening to the radio broadcast and pick up some extra stuff. Uh, I don't usually listen to the, the, the broadcasters. I'll yeah. watch it back later because you do want to like, you want to know what the broadcasters are saying because that's the majority of the people that we're going to be talking to. That's what they've seen. So if you don't know exactly what they've seen, I think you're missing something too. So I like doing that on the rewatch, but I like listening to the radio broadcast when I can uh, during the game. Even when I'm in person, I like to do that sometimes. It, it depends on the TV broadcasters because sometimes I'm just like, what are you talking about? And the names are totally wrong. They're just like, yeah. No. Other times I'm like, oh, that's a good point. Or my uh, my roommates will point out she's like I'll say something and she, and then immediately after that Gus Johnson would say something she's like what how are you doing this <laughs> sometimes I'm just announcing stuff as it's going on but being at home I can tweet a lot more obviously because you know when we're on the sidelines we're working and taking photos and stuff so we our tweets are very much more uh, um, centered on injuries and specific things like that whereas at home I'm looking at alignments and formations and those type of things that I look at on my film study as well. So you can you can notice a lot of different things during a broadcast versus uh, when you're on the sideline. But it's, like Keely said, so much better when you can choose where to look yeah. um, rather than being like, okay, what's going on? Or, hey, their cameras went out. <laughs> yeah, that, it was just like, of course a game that I haven't been to in four years, the camera goes out. But yeah, yeah, I didn't get my tweet timing right. I was watching pre-snap and then would look at my Twitter timeline when the ball would snap and I was like, I'm so rusty. I don't know how to do this, but snacks were nice to eat, you know? Um, but I was more tired, which is weird. I think just because I was sitting there instead of like actually actively working, I don't know. Weird. And, and no adrenaline. I think that, that's part of it well, too. Well, that's what I was addressing. Yeah, exactly. Late-ass game doesn't help. You know. <laughs> yeah, the the one true. advantage of watching at home f- f- to me is if I see something, I'm like, wait a second, what did I see? Hit that rewind button real quick. Uh, oh, yeah, okay, that's rewind. what I saw. That that would be nice if you have that, if you're fancy. Uh, <laughs> any final thoughts, gentlemen? Guys, just schedule-wise, we will not be having a show on Wednesday. Happy Thanksgiving to you all. Be safe. Don't spread COVID, please. Let's get through this, okay? Uh, any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Yeah, 3-0. and I mean, this is uh, this is where you want to be. I mean, Clay Hilton over and over talks about 1-0 this week, 3-0 and on the season. I don't want USC fans to be too down beating a Utah team on the road. It's it's rare, uh, with you know, to, to beat Utah and Salt Lake City. So, yeah, was Utah at full strength? No. But still, you take the win and you walk away and go, you know what? Now you got an opportunity to play a Colorado team that's also undefeated, and you win that game, and you pretty much are going to secure your position in the division unless some crazy stuff happens. So I think that's all you can do is just try to win the games in front of you and be happy that their games are actually happening. I mean, USC is pretty lucky. I tweeted out a thing like that, like stuffed animal thing running from landmines or whatever, or like bombs. Like this is what the Pac-12 is on every Friday, and USC hasn't hit any of those landmines yet. So that's lucky for us. I mean, I, it's hard when we only get to cover six or seven games, and some of the people that do that are missing two of them. We haven't had to miss any yet, so knock, knock on wood for that. So uh, hopefully that keeps going. 
Final thoughts for me is uh, similar to what Ryan said, USC is in position to win the Pac-12 South. You know, we talked about after the Arizona game, the college football playoff was basically out the, out the window. So now the focus is on the Pac-12 South. And by beating Arizona State to open the season and now beating Utah, USC sitting right in the right where they want to be, uh, 3-0 right now. Other final thoughts are on the hardwood. USC basketball opens on Wednesday, and they got a big uh, transfer. Uh, Drew Peterson from Rice is going to be immediately eligible, so that's a big addition for their, their roster this season. Um, it's going to be weird that they're starting on Wednesday, and they just figured out when the game is going to be. That game is going to be at 6 p.m. on Wednesday for anybody who's interested in basketball. Well, there you go. Hey, and since we're not having a Wednesday show, someone in the YouTube comments reminded me, it's way too early prediction. Score time. What are your predictions for Colorado? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Throwing you guys a curveball. Let's just do it for the heck of it. Holy <laughs> cow. Like I don't have instant analysis and family feud podcast to do and make exactly. these predictions. So. No, I'm going to put you all on the spot right now. Let's go. So I think I'm going to like, it, it's be like 11 point spread, but I think Colorado is going to be a pretty feisty team. USC is still going to have like a bunch of yards and, and maybe not finish some drives. Um, I, you know, I think it's going to be similar to what I thought the Utah game would be. Utah didn't score as much as I thought. I think Colorado will. I'll keep it within like a, a touchdown sort of game. So I think you might see like a, you know, 35, 28 sort of game, uh, USC. I'm going to just go ahead and throw it out there being a blowout. Uh, the, USC, the USC's offense finally takes that step forward that the defense took last week. I'm going to be optimistic this week, guys. It's Thanksgiving. I'm thankful that we're getting to cover another game. True. So I'm going to be optimistic about this one and say USC wins like 45 to 17, 14, somewhere. That's there. been the Keeley wow. score the last like three, two weeks. So there you go. Nice. I'm going to say, huh, 17 to 14 for the heck of it. I, I, Whoa, I, think, I, said, I think I said that last week, so I'm just going back to back, you know. <laughs> Just, just see how it goes. It's not going to mean anything. Uh, but we'll, we will be back on Sunday to break down the Colorado game. So just skipping Wednesday. We'll be back. Don't worry. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up. That's Ryan. That's Shotgun. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all on Sunday. Bye. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.